Lord Jesus Christ, we love you and we adore you, Lord. You are the giver of light and life, and we come here this morning to celebrate that. And it's in your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So I thought I had an opening sermon illustration, but I was just handed a new one. If you drive a gray Toyota <laughs> with license plate ANA428, your lights are on. There we go. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hey, anyone? <laughs> Sorry, James. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, have you ever had a mountaintop experience with the Lord before? Maybe, maybe James is having his right now, where the Lord has touched him in a very powerful way in the church service and has moved him to, to get on his feet. Um, but have you ever had just a sweet moment with the Lord that you wish would never end? Uh, for me, I remember this time that I was traveling in, in Europe right after I graduated college, and it was just a fun, exciting time in my life. And at this moment, I was on a train by myself, and I... Um, we're driving over the, the Swiss, or not driving, on the train over, over um, the Swiss Alps, looking out the window and reading the book of Hebrews. And I felt like the passage was just coming alive to me that morning in a way that never had before. Uh, it was as if the presence of the Lord was, was there, sitting beside me, just filling the entire train, uh, or the entire cabin of that train. It was an amazing experience. And I've always wondered, like, Lord, why can't the Bible be like that every single time I open it up? Why can't it just be electrifying like that every single time? And maybe you've had experiences like this yourself. Perhaps it was on a mission trip uh, where you're maybe serving the poor and you just felt the Lord's presence speaking to you, walking um, with you as you served those who are marginalized. Or maybe it was off on a spiritual retreat somewhere in the middle of the woods where God met you on a very... Um, intense, real, tangible way as you prayed to him and sought his face. We could probably go around the room and share story after story of these kinds of experiences, right? Where the Lord has been especially close to us. And if you're like me, you've probably wondered, why can't this experience last forever? Again, why can't, that buy, why can't the, the reading experience that I had on that train long ago, why can't that just be the case every time that I open the scriptures? How come the Lord's presence just can't be more real to me than the clothes on my very back? Maybe you've begged God years after years to reveal himself to you in this sort of powerful way. Well, today we're going to be looking at Psalm 126, which is what we read uh, today as we read the Advent, uh, as the Advent candles were lit. And Psalm 126 asks this same question, it asks the question of, Lord, can you, be, can you be to us what you have been before in the past? Can you reveal to yourself to us in the way that has been so real and tangible in the past? And this psalm, Psalm 126, uh, I love this psalm. Uh, it's one that we've actually sung here many times at Restoration. It's, it's a psalm that, that has the word restoration in it. We've sung it many times here. But it's also a part of the, the assigned readings for Advent. Uh, it's read every third Sunday of Advent. So I was like, this is going to be a great opportunity to actually talk about this psalm. So open up your bulletins, if you will, uh, to that page. I think it's page six or something like that. Four, it is four. Five. It's, 
It's in the bulletin. You guys can find it. You're smart people. You're intelligent. So please open up your bulletins to that. And you'll see that it's split into two paragraphs. Uh, the second paragraph starting at verse 4. And so it begins by saying, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Now I hate to do this at the beginning of, of opening up this passage to you, but I'm, I'm going to get kind of nitpicky about the translation here. Uh, because scholars kind of, they, they uh, debate over how to translate this passage. You'll notice in, in our reading, in the ESV, it translates that word fortunes. You restored the fortunes of Zion. If you have a, uh, the NIV or the New Living Translation, it actually translates that in a way that I prefer, which is the captives. Lord, when you restored the captives of Zion, we were like those who dream. You see, this is a psalm that's incredibly personal. The, the Jews were singing it of themselves. Lord, when you brought us back, we were like those who dreamed. We were those captives, Lord. When you brought us back, we were like those who dream. You see, these people had been in captivity for decades. They had been taken off uh, into Babylonian captivity, ripped out of their, their temple, out of their promised land. And finally, the Lord brought them back. And you can hear their laughter. You can hear their joy just coming through this passage. It was far beyond anything that they had ever imagined. They didn't think that they would be brought back. And the passage continues. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. There's not just mere chuckling that's going on here, but you can almost laugh with them. Their entire mouth was just captivated by, by this laughter. It was filled with it. And there the words, it says here, their tongues with shouts of joy. The Hebrew word there for shouts of joy is kind of a fun one. It's, it's renah. I'm sure I'm butchering the pronunciation of it. But if you ever, like, if you've been to the Middle East or perhaps you've, you've seen movies or, or been to fest, Middle Eastern festivals where you've heard the women um, cry out this, like, you know, that kind of shrill crying sound, that's the sound that's being described here. It's that shouts of joy that are coming off. Again, there's some translations that, si that simply say sings or songs of joy or something like that. No, like, this is excited, jubilant shouting that is going on here. You're probably very thankful that I didn't actually try to do that for real. <laughs> that would have been great. And the rejoicing is just so overwhelming. It's so bright and vibrant that even the surrounding nations, they take notice of what's going on there. The nations say, the Lord, Yahweh, he has done great things for them. So their rejoicing is so profound, so exuberant that even the nations take notice. And the writer here, he couldn't have, or she couldn't have note, said it better themselves. There in verse 3, they, report, they re repeat back, Yes, the Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. That word glad there, it's actually a little bit of an understatement. It's, we, were, we were overjoyed. We were delighted. We we're filled with thanksgiving. So they repeat back that. So there in this, in this first part of it, the first half of this, we see that in spite of everything that the Jews thought, they actually were brought back to Jerusalem. And we can identify with these experiences, right? We've had these moments where the Lord has restored fortunes back to us, where he has brought us back into an exciting experience back with him. But isn't it interesting that seasons of victory and excitement are almost always followed by seasons of loneliness? 
It's as if those two always go hand by hand. You have a mountaintop experience, and then comes the valley. You know, I remember having one particular experience that was, I can tell this story another day, but I remember coming home from, it was from a youth group um, event, I remember coming home to my parents and just, I was like, you will not believe what just happened. This was crazy. I don't really have a framework for this. I don't know what happened, but it was awesome. And they kept the TV on, and they just kept watching and clicking through like, yeah, Rick, that's, that's nice. That's nice. And maybe you remember being a teenager with being filled with joy and wanting to tell your parents about something like that, and you're just met with, mm-hmm, that's cool. Now, I don't fault my parents for that, so later when my mom is listening to this podcast sermon, no, mom, I don't fault you for that. Because um, we as parents, you know, we no doubt have done that same thing many times to our own kids, right? They bring us a piece of artwork or something. And we're like, yes, yes, that's nice. I, I need to keep working here. Well, this was the reality of these returned captives. So they come back from this experience. They step into the land and they're just absolutely thrilled. But then reality sets in. They realize that working in the land is absolutely difficult. It hadn't been worked for decades the soil had gotten rocky and awful. Some, not everyone came back with them. A lot of their relatives and whatnot actually stayed in, in Babylon because they had established a life for themselves and they had no interest in coming back and rebuilding the temple. So those who were here, they were yearning for the fullness of what they originally had. They wanted um, just the, that, that original um, rejoicing to be rebuilt. So my wife's family is pretty cool. Uh, she's got three other siblings. And it's, it's a pretty awesome family. The, there are four siblings. They all get along really, really well. My father-in-law calls them the four points of the compass. They're all very different, uh, shall we say. But when they get together, it's as if those, dis those differences are reasons for celebration and laughter and joy. You know, there's a ton of inside jokes in Molly's family. They have favorite stories. And they even have their favorite dance moves and whatnot that they do when, when things get particularly crazy. Um, I did ask for permission to say that, so that's, that's okay. And there's some Christmases, though, when not all the siblings can come together. And for my mother-in-law, that is a huge bummer, right? Because she wants all of her, her babies to come back into the house. She wants to see the dancing and the joy and the excitement and she also wants to, see, she wants to see them together because she's so proud of them. You know, seeing all these kids together, it's, it's reassuring for her that all of her hard work for all those years has actually paid off. And so when there is a Christmas, when everyone comes together, my mother-in-law is just, she'll just sit there at the table just absolutely beaming, tears of laughter just rolling down her cheeks because everyone, I'm, yeah, they're, they're very crazy. Well, this is how the Jews were. They were longing for their families to return home. They want everyone to be back at the table again. They want to be working the land with each other. They want to be in the temple worshiping the Lord together. They want this big community experience to continue. And so that's what we see here in the second part of the psalm. We see these prayers coming through. Verse 4 continues. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. The Negev is a desert uh, in, in Israel. And it's very interesting because when it rains there, which it doesn't happen very often, but it, when it rains, almost overnight, the green grass comes and flows. It's, just, it's almost miraculous. It's like a light switch has been flipped. The rain comes 
and then the grass pops up immediately. And when it rains, because it's a sandy land, the streams are just overflowing, and the rivers are just flowing um, quickly and speedily, uh, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see it. Like I said, this happens overnight, and you just see fields of grass and flowers. And that's exactly what the Jews wanted to see with their, their relatives and with the rest of their tribes. They wanted to see this, their relatives coming back like the streams in the Negev. Well, then they're also learning here that restoration is difficult, hard work. As I mentioned earlier, the land had not been worked for decades. It was rocky. It was hard soil. There were other inhabitants who were there who weren't exactly thrilled to see the Jews come back. And so they knew as they were working the land that they were sowing their seed and watering it with their own tears. Watering it with their own tears. He who goes out weeping, it says. Well, they have to, the Jews have to remind themselves that just as the Lord has provided for them in the past, he will provide again. Those who sow with tears reap with shouts of joy. That same word again. The Jews are reminding themselves of that, that vibrant worship that they had. Those who go out with weeping, again it says, shall come home with shouts of joy. We hear that a second time. There's shouts of joy that are coming. They're saying to each other, reminding to each other. And they don't know exactly how the Lord will provide, but the psalmist is confident that he who goes out sowing will return with sheaves of wheat, with bundles of wheat on his shoulders. In other words, even though they know that it is hard work, the Lord will be bringing back more and more people into the kingdom. And we know that the Lord has fulfilled this. There were more Jews that were coming back into the land and filling it. But also all of us are fulfillment of this psalm as well. We are the wheat who was brought in. We are that additional harvest that has come in. And so in that sense, this has also been fulfilled. So I want to ask, as in closing here, how does this psalm challenge us today? What does this have to say to us today? Well, I think one thing, one truth that it has to give us, and there are many, but one is that it's easy to give up, isn't it? It's easy to give up. You know, I've been thinking about that even in the context of planting this church, right? Because we have these preview services, and it's kind of easy to do church when it's just once a month, right? We come in here, we set up. It's kind of this special experience and whatnot. Molly and I would then go to our, our mother church on the off uh, Sundays and be like, man, we could do restoration just once a month, right? We could do that for a couple of years even. Why not, right? And doing it weekly is hard work, right? We have to come in here, set up the gymnasium, set up the children's ministry week after week after week. And so we have to tell ourselves we can't keep up. The Lord is faithful. He has called us to this. And we know that there is a, a bountiful harvest on the horizon. Well, maybe some of you are in a particular season of hard work right now. You know, maybe you're in a season of sowing with tears. And the, hard, the land is hard. It's gnarly. It's rocky land. And it's, it's surrounded by loneliness as well. Maybe you have things that you want to celebrate. But there are people there who, you, who won't actually join you in that celebration. So later we're going to be singing this psalm. And I invite you to just ingest the words of it. Let the words just soak over you. And then later this week, just continue to read through this psalm. Take the bulletin home and just read over it, over it again and again. And remind yourself that the Lord is faithful. 
that he is doing good things. He is doing good things among us. That those who sow with tears will come back reaping with shouts of joy, with bountiful harvests on their shoulders. And this will be a place where we lift up those things, where we share those things with one another. We will be a house of restoration that, that sings the Lord's praises like this psalm. So with that in mind, bow your heads and pray with me, please. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, you know the story of every single person in this room. You know the joys, but also the toiling that we are doing. Lord, I pray that you will remind us to hold fast to you so that the nations around us will see your faithfulness, that those around us, our neighbors, our friends, that they themselves will proclaim their God has done something great for them and that we will be glad. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.